I want to turn you to Nehemiah and chapter 2. Nehemiah and chapter 2. I want to talk about becoming a community changing church. I know that I'm, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking to people who are already well on this journey. And hopefully I can add something to that. Um, turn with me with you. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I'd never appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I said, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed? By fire. The king asked, Well, what can I do to help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple, the fortress, for the city walls, and for the house for myself." And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, sent along army of officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sambalat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. The Bible says of Ezekiah, they understood the times and they knew what they should do. I've been coming back and forth to um, New Zealand since uh, 1992, probably been here 14 or 15 times over that period of time. And there is a sense that is something is happening in the atmosphere right now. There is an awakening. There's an expectation that God is going to do something dramatic and wonderful and powerful in the land again. And that's absolutely exciting. And, um, and some people are already, already have outcomes that they actually see how that would look like. They, they are looking for more church services that will last for three or four hours. I'm hoping that's not going to happen. I really am hoping that's not going to happen. I'm hoping that we're going to see the kingdom of God come into cities and communities right across this nation, that hope to broken people will come, that people who are incarcerated in sin, that will be broken, but systems that are keeping people bound in fear, bound uh, in poverty. It could be educational poverty. It could be motivational poverty. It's going to be broken by the power of God. And joy and hope is going to flow through the streets of the cities rather than in the buildings where we worship. That's the kind of outpouring I'm expecting. And Ezekiah were people 
with informed minds, ready hearts, submitted spirits, and they were committed to the task. Now, there are several things that I, I get out of this passage. The first thing I get is this, that with God, there are times and seasons in His economy. You see, it was in chapter 1. We don't have time to go into chapter 1, but in chapter 1, Nehemiah began to pray. It was in the month of Kislev. It was in the month of December. But it wasn't until chapter 2 and verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the month of April, did God began to answer those prayers. He prayed in chapter 1, and God answered in chapter 2. He prayed in chapter 1, and God answered in chapter 2. He prayed in chapter 1, and God answered in chapter 2. He prayed in chapter 1, and God answered in chapter 2. If you want prayers to be answered, you've got to pray. I know it's profound. You see, we have to engage again with the Lord in a way that is meaningful and authentic. Because with God, there are sometimes time delays. We, we sometimes, in this fast-paced, instant, immediate, gratifying culture that we're in, we, we want God to work according to our speed. We want God to work according to our calendar. But if you've been in the Christian life for any amount of time, you know he doesn't play ball. The moment you say things like this, God, you, ha you have to, you have to come in. You have to break through by Friday. You have to. He goes, really? I really have to do that? I don't think so. And the moment you start putting time limits on God, you can guarantee he won't turn up. Because he wants you to understand he is God, he's in charge, he's in control, because we normally put time limits because we want to be back in control, and we don't want him in control, right? <laughs> so there are time, there are time delays. The Bible says this, it's with faith and endurance we inherit the promises of God. Jesus would have been a nightmare to most time management people today. He hardly did anything for the first 30 years of his life, made a few tables, made a few chairs. Here's the Son of God. He's got everything going for him. Like, can you get off your butt and do something? But no, he wasn't working with our time frame. He wasn't working with our mindset. At the appointed time, he did what he needed to do. David was anointed to be king at 17. He didn't come to the throne until he was 30 years of age. That's why when we pray and it doesn't happen in our time framework, that's no indication we should stop praying. <laughs> no, no, we have, to, we have to push that thing across the line. We have to keep going. We have to become tenacious in what we actually feel sensed in our hearts that we need to bring to the Lord. You see, in this passage, Nehemiah is overcome by the need. He'd managed to conceal the need, but he appears before the king, and he's, he's quite distraught, and the king, the king says, Man, what's up with you, Nehemiah? I've not, never seen you like this before. You, you don't look sick. You must be fretting. You must be, you must be worried. And he says, It's my people. It's my people, the city of God, the walls are broken down. And he began to feel for his people. 
And you know, God has many people in this city. They're just not in this room at the moment. Some of them are sleeping off a booze binge last night. <laughs> Some of them got up this morning and they, they had a little smoke. And they're feeling quite, quite nice now. They're his people. They've just not come into the family yet. And sometimes we see people who are not in the family and we think they're our enemy. <laughs> no, no, they're not our enemy. They are people waiting to experience the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the love of God. They are people waiting to see the manifold wisdom of God flow through our lives in acts of goodness and mercy and kindness and action. And there are many people in this city and they don't look like you and they don't live like you and they may live opposite you. It's just yet the revelation of the Son of God has not yet come to them. And, and Nehemiah is overcome by the needs of his people in this city. And, and you see, that, that transaction needs to take place in our lives where we are, become deeply concerned for the people in our city. We, we know from, from chapter 1, and we don't have time to go through it this morning, but in verses 4 to 10, a prayer foundation, a prayer foundation was laid. He prayed in chapter 1 and God answered in chapter 2. He prayed in chapter 1 and God answered in chapter 2. He prayed in chapter 1 and he got answered in chapter 2. And I'm, I'm calling you as a body of Christ. It's time, it's time again to call upon the name of the Lord. It's time not to go through the routine, um, routine practices of religious activity, of talking to God. It's, it's engaging with the Father, that we begin to feel His heart, that we feel His passion, that we feel His intentions for our city and for our community and for our families and for those who are not yet born again. But they're on the way, and it looks like they're never going to come, but they're on the way because we have prayed. We have created a pathway for them to come into the kingdom of God as we call upon the name of the Lord. And because he prayed in chapter 1 and God answered in chapter 2, we, we discover that there are, maze, there, are, there are ways and means in God's economy. You see, as we pray, the unexpected can happen. Verse 2. So he appears before the king and he's sad, and you didn't do that. You, you have, in that culture, you didn't do that because the king was all under all kinds of all kinds of pressure, but when he was in his court, he wanted to hear the best jokes. He wanted to hear the best musicians. He wanted to eat the best food. You didn't turn up like a miserable, a miserable old git in front of the king. No, 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 that didn't go down too well because, because he had enough hassle. He wanted joy. He wanted happiness with those that worked and served in his court. And, and if you did turn up, you, you, you were put on the significant pressure that you may actually lose your head if you turned up and acted like that. But somehow, Nehemiah had served the king so well, he got favor. Do you know serving will give you favor? Most of us don't enjoy or don't want to be servants. <laughs> but we're servants. We're servants of the king. We're servants of our friends. We're servants of our homes. We're servants in our businesses. And, we are, and as we serve with excellence, 
we actually discover God gives us favor. When we're kind of prattling around and want to be king and boss and in charge, no favor comes. But when he prayed in chapter 1, the unexpected began to happen, and the king noticed him. The king noticed him, and he says, what do you want? I used to have a proper job. I worked in a company called Pearl Assurance. It was in a city called Cardiff. Now, some of you will know that Cardiff is the capital of Wales, but most of you don't know that Cardiff is the capital of the universe. And, and the year before I went to Bible college, I took a, took a job in this, in this company to try and save some money to go off to Bible college. And I'd saved quite a bit of money, and, and six weeks before I went to Bible college, God told me to give it away. And if you read the book, you'll find out what happened next. It's quite interesting. And when I got into this, it was my first kind of proper job, and and I'd kind of never been in an environment where I saw women with mustaches before. It was quite an interesting kind of place to work. And um, it was all looked a bit weird. Anyway, so I am there, and, and people talked about Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis was, was the head of that regional office. It was 13 stories high. And um, no one has seen Mr. Davis for four, five, maybe six years. So there was this folklore going around that he really had died, and no one had let us know, and and although his picture, which seemed an old picture, on the monthly bulletin that came out, um, he was there, but no one had actually seen him. And so there, there, there was always interesting discussions around, was he alive? Was he dead? Did he re- was he really working here? Whatever. And so I had kind of had this kind of desire in my heart. I said, God, it'd be really great. It'd be really great if I could meet Mr. Davis and share my faith with him. Well, how's that going to happen? I'm a 17-year-old kid. I'm a newbie. I'm in the bottom of the tray. I, like, how am I going to get up to the 13th story and meet this, you know, demi-god? Anyway, so I'm there. I'm working away. Every Monday, lunchtime, the two blocks away from the office, there's a church called St. John's. I'd go down there. I'd pray for everybody in my office. And I'd pray for Mr. Davis that I would actually have an opportunity to share my faith with him. I was there six, seven, eight, nine, ten months that I handed my notice in. Hadn't seen him. Obviously not talked to him. My last week at work, hadn't seen him, hadn't talked. My last day at work, 12 o'clock, I'm leaving at 4 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, I have a phone call from Mr. Davis's PA. It says, Mr. Green. That sounded nice. Mr. Davis would like to see you. Would, you. would you please come up to the 13th floor? So go up to the 13th floor, and it was like a palatial office. His office is about half the size of this church. Go in there, and he stands up, and he shakes me, and he says, Ian, it's so glad you, glad you came to see me. Ah, but we, I found out you're leaving today. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. He says, well, look, we, we had plans for you. We, we wanted to fast-track you into this management course. We, like, is there anything... Is there anything I can do today that you would not leave today, but you would extend your time with us? I said, I, I really don't think so, Mr. Davis. He says, well, what, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'm, I'm going off to Bible college. He says, sorry. 
what are you doing that for? And I begin to share my faith with him. And of course, when I went into his office, his PA says, well, you've got 15 minutes and you're out. So you've got 15 minutes. So 15 minutes came. I know my time was up. He buzzed the buzzer. He said, just punt, my, punt that appointment back further, further. I was there for over an hour, share my faith. Wow, Jesus had changed my life and why I was going to Bible college and how God's going to use my life. And that's lucky, isn't it? How lucky is that? See, when you, when you pray on a Monday lunchtime, God works on a Friday afternoon. And you see, when we begin to pray, when we begin to pray, the unexpected can happen. Let me ask you this. Are there unexpected things happening in your life? If it's not, it's just an indication you're not praying. It's only a thought. Don't worry. When we pray, the unbelievable can happen. The king says to him, So Nehemiah, get the story. Your relations, your people, they're in great trouble. What do you want? What, what do you want me to do for you? Now, can you get this? This is, this is the mogul of the area. This is the guy that is cashed up. This is the guy that has all the resources. And he's saying to Nehemiah, what is it you want? What do you want from me? What is it? What can I do to help you? Wow. And God says to you, what do you want? What do you want? Well, I wouldn't mind a little better car. You know, I got a driving a, a 1983 Toyota Corolla. If I could move up to a 1989 Toyota Corolla, I'd be really excited. <laughs> Some of our expectations for life is way too small. Way too small. Way too small. What do you want? My discovery is this. Most people have no idea what they want. And they get it all the time. <laughs> they get like buckets, bucket loads of it. They get nothing upon nothing upon nothing upon nothing upon nothing. And they go, it's working for everybody. It's not working for me because our expectation is zilcho. What do you want? What do you want people to say at your funeral? He always had polished shoes. Amazing, after 85 years on the planet, he always had polished shoes. Oh, she always went to the hairdressers every week. Spectacular. See, we, right now, we start to write the script for our funeral now. <laughs> We're actually are going to make decisions we're going to do stuff where we actually are going to help people <clears throat> to say some sensible things. <laughs> and you are the scriptwriter. And we're the scriptwriter. What do you want? What do you want? I said to Jesus, I said to Jesus in February, Jesus, I want, this is where I want Jesus, I want to train 10,000 city transformers around the globe. 
then I thought, what the flipping heck are you saying? That's too ridiculous. You're an old dude. How's that going to happen? No, no, no. That's what I want, God. I don't know how we're going to do this, but that's what I want. Just months later, got contacted by a, uh, a TV company that they want me to record 50 programs on how to transform communities. It's going to go, it's going to go global to almost every English-speaking TV network on the planet. I'm thinking, 10,000 is too small. What are you thinking? What do you want? What do you want? See, most people, they've lived in the whole idea of goals, you know, attainable, measurable. That's hopeless. That thing is hopeless. If you, at least, if you're going to have a goal, at least make it impossible. If you're going to have a goal, at least make it that you've got to learn something to get there. If you're going to have a goal, at least have something that's going to need some supernatural help from heaven to intervene into that goal so it actually can become a reality. When you're setting goals that you is just a little bit further than where you are, wow. You're saying, yes, please keep me average. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Like, what do you want? What, what do you want for your family? Those of you that got children, or you still got influence over your children, what do you want? Huh. You know, we we said to our kids, we said to our kids when they were small, look, when you're eight, when you're eight, you go on a mission trip with dad, just you and dad together. So I'm talking to Morgan, my my youngest, he's seven. I says, okay, Morgan, we're going to go on a mission trip. This is the deal. This is the deal. I pay for the mission trip, but you come up with 50 pounds. Like, that's real money, right? 50 pounds, and we feed the poor people in Bucharest, Romania, because we're going to meet with people who actually live in the sewers, and they're going to be hungry, and you are going to feed them. Okay, Dad, okay, okay. Dad, where am I going to get 50 pounds from? So I said, well, um, you can do some jobs with mum and dad. We'll, we'll pay for doing some jobs. He said, I don't like doing work. <laughs> that proved to be true. <laughs> anyway, we're about a week, week out, and I say, okay, mate, how's your money going? He says, well, Dad, I've saved, I've saved 10 pounds. I said, fantastic, mate. I said, we well, said 50, right? So where's the other 40 coming from? He said, I don't know. I said, let's go to your bedroom, see, see what we can sell. Go into his bedroom. I'm looking around. PS2 games were the thing then. It says, mate, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of selling PS2 games. What are you thinking? Says, I'm not thinking, Dad. I'm not thinking. <laughs> so I get these whack of games. We go down to games. Like, I'm thinking I'm going to pay off my mortgage. Like, I'm just like, like, they give us 20 quid, like 20 pounds, like 40 bucks. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Anyway. It's the morning before we're going to leave. He says, mate, how's your money going? He says, dad, I got 30 quid. No, 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 we said 50 quid. We're leaving in three hours. Where are we going to get the other 20 from? He says, I don't know, dad. I says, mate, I need to apologize. We haven't even prayed about this, have we? We haven't even prayed about this. We need to pray about this. 
Because Jesus knows where that 20 quid is. He knows where that 20 pounds is. Let's pray. So we pray. I go off to work. My last meeting of the day, meet with Scott Thompson. He was our operations director. He says, Ian, when are you and Morgan going on that mission trip? I said, oh, we're going to leave. Going to the hour and going to the airport, but hour and off. He says, will you give him the 20 pounds from me for his mission trip? Like, like, how lucky was that? Now, I know that some of you parents, you'd have coughed up that 20 quid, wouldn't you? Because you don't like living by faith, and you don't want your kids to live by faith, right? You never kind of push them to the edge, right? Because no, 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 no. We'd end up becoming so normal, it'd be ridiculous. No, no, I'm not going to do that. And so, so we deposit in our kids' minds. We've taken them all over the world. My daughter... She's 23. She's been to 38 or 39 countries. Say, wow, that costs a lot of money. Of course it does. But it's only money. What we're short on is not money, it's vision. That's what we're short on. What we're short on is vision. What vision? What what do you want your kids to turn out like? Do you want them to be nice, middle-class get a good job, settle down, become as boring as we are. I think we design for a bit better than that, don't we? I think we design for a bit better than that. Hello, I say I think we're designing for a bit more than that, aren't we? What do you want? What do you want for your kids? What do you want for this church? What do you want for this church? There's enough room for a few more people here, that's for sure. Hello. <laughs> what do you want for Hamilton? What do you want for Hamilton? What do you want Hamilton to be like a hundred years from now? Say a hundred years from now. Yeah, that's how we've got to think because we serve a generational God and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, There's always generational thinking in the Bible. So we're saying, what is Hamilton going to be like for my grandkids or for my great-grandkids? What kind of culture is going to be here? What kind of hope is going to be here? What kind of blessing is going to be flowing through the streets of of Hamilton? Because when you start thinking a hundred years ahead, you do different things. Some of you will start thinking, I need to inspire my kid to become the mayor of Hamilton. Some of you would say, I, I need a guy that, who is the headmaster or principal of the school. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we're going to get people into education. We're going to get people into, not, not, not so that we have long holidays in the summer. No, no, so we can shape the hearts and minds of young people and get the kingdom of God to flow through their lives. What do you want? Please. Please don't, please, please don't embarrass God with small thinking. Please don't embarrass Him with small thinking. Think outrageous, think wild, think ridiculous, because that's the kind of God we serve. In 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan and his armor bearer surrounded by 7,000 people, and... They have one sword between them. 
7,000 people and one sword. And the armor bearer says to Jonathan, let's go and get them. And there's a beautiful phrase in verse 6, particularly in the King James Version, it says, and perhaps the Lord might help us. In other words, let's keep our fingers crossed and probably our legs crossed, and maybe Jesus may turn up, right? I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to say yes to God before you know what the question is. Because the older we become in this Christian life is this, we become, we become very clever, we become technically brilliant, of justifying our disobedience and our unbelief, and we have Bible texts to prove it. And we bring rationale into it. Do you know, there's no such gift as the gift of rationale. Hello. There's a gift of faith. <laughs> there's a gift of miracles. My friend was missionaries in Phuket, Thailand. And you remember the tsunami came there in 2004 and it was absolutely horrendous. And prior to that, he began to build friend, a friendship with the, with the mayor in the city because he knew to get the kingdom of God in that city, you have to go, go through channels of authority for that to happen. And it was devastating. And Brian is just having lunch with the mayor one day, and the mayor says to Brian, you know, Brian, the school's gone. The school's gone. Thousand pupils school, thousand high school students, no education. We've, the tsunami has taken away the future of a thousand children. Each year, could be 10,000 people over the period of time, gone. We have to get the future back for these children. Brian, Brian, would you start would you start? Would you rebuild a school for us? Would you rebuild a school for us? And before he's thinking, he says, you know, may I can do that. And then he's thinking, oh, my flipping heck, what am I saying? And he peed himself because he realized it was like an outrageous thing. He's a guy. He's living by faith. He doesn't know when his next check is coming. And he just made a commitment to rebuild a school of 1,000 people. He says bye to the mayor, goes down to the beach, prays like crazy. He says, Jesus, you have to help us. Like I'm hoping I said yes because you were saying yes and you just have to do something to help us here. He walks back up from the beach, he goes back into the city. By this time, all the news crews, CNN is coming, ABC News is coming, BBC World Services there. And the guys from the BBC, they pick up on his English accent. He says, are you from? Yeah, he says, I'm a missionary. So what's going on here? And, and he begins to explain. He says, do you know what, people? In three days' time, all these news crews will have gone. But right now, you can do something to fundamentally help the future of young people in this community. We have to rebuild the school. And in two hours from now, there'll be a website put up. And I can't remember the name of the website. And you will be able to donate directly to the website. And he's looking right into the camera. And within six weeks, 1.3 million pounds, pounds, right? 1.3 million pounds were donated through that website. Like, how good is that? Will you say yes before you know what the question is? Will you say yes before you know what the question is? 
Prepare to move out of your comfort zone. Prepare to move into God's comfort zone. It's very comfortable. It's very comfortable there. You feel uncomfortable, but it's very comfortable there. Look, time is going. The demons are making my watch go very quickly. Let me just say one last thing. When we pray, not only do the unexpected happen, when we pray, not only, only the unbelievable happen, but when we pray, the unplanned can happen. How much unplanned stuff is happening in your life? That's another little sign that maybe you've backed off on prayer, right? Because when we press into prayer, it shifts things in the heavenlies that affects what we do on the earth, and the unplanned begins to happen. Some of you will remember when I've been here before, you've incredibly generously donated to the, the diaper, the nappy project that we've had. And, you know, the last few years we've, we've delivered over 130,000 diapers into that community, nappies into that community, and you guys have helped enormously in that process. And the group that we kind of partnered with to do that, their leader, Trevor, he's at home one day and he feels the Lord say to him, I want you to take A to Liberia. And Liberia had been in a civil war and it had come to an end and there was lots of trouble. And, and the Lord said, and he said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know anybody in Liberia. And the Lord says, I do. So he goes down to the office, says to his PA, just ring the Liberian embassy in London. He said, Trevor, what are you going to say? He said, I have no idea. Just ring the number and we'll see what happens. Ring the number, hand him the phone. Someone picks up, Hello. Liberian Embassy London says, Hello, my name is Trevor. I'm a servant of the Most High God. He is telling me I need to bring a convoy of trucks to Liberia to help the people who are suffering because of the civil war that you've had. I wonder, could you help me? The guy on the other side goes, Praise the Lord, brother. He says, Can you come and see? Can you come and see? Can you come and see the the ambassador, yeah, yes, yes, I can come. He said, can you come Friday? Yeah, come Friday. He went to see the ambassador on Friday. Got led into this palatial room, right? Palatial room. And they're talking and they're working out the paperwork and the logistics of seven Arctic trucks, seven or eight Arctic trucks going in on the first delivery. And inside, Trevor thinks the Lord is speaking to him saying, I want you to fill this embassy with five-star furniture. And he's looking around the room and he goes, I can't get anything else in this room. It's, and it all looks expensive stuff. He gets up to walk out and he can't shake it. So he says to the ambassador, Ambassador, I'm just feeling this. Jesus is saying, I need to fill this embassy with five star furniture. The ambassador says, You're a prophet, aren't you? He said, No, 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 I'm Trevor. I'm not a prophet, I'm Trevor. He says, well, look, my predecessor sold all the furniture in this embassy. The only furniture that's left was in the room that you were in. I sleep on the floor every night. He says, you're a prophet sent from God. He says, I am I'm definitely here to help you. When you pray, when you pray, we can expect the unplanned to happen. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? I want to ask you this morning, would, are you prepared to pray? And are you prepared to say yes, however irrational it sounds, however ridiculous it sounds, however off the wall it sounds, however normal it sounds, however little it sounds, I'm going to do 
what he tells me to do. If you're prepared to do that, I just want you to stand wherever you're sitting right now. So I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I don't care what the question is, it's yes. There's going to be radical obedience. It's going to be yes. 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 Just however you receive, get into that posture of receiving right now. So, Father, what's upon me, that apostolic breakthrough, faithful anointing, I impart it to everybody who is standing at their feet. Lord, I pray for fresh courage, fresh hope, fresh vision. I pray no more small thinking. I pray God-sized thinking, God-sized aspirations. Father, I say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done with everybody that is standing on their feet. Father, I pray, let your word come deeply in their hearts. Now, some of you have been reminded of stuff that God spoke to you before that you haven't done. You've taught yourself out of it. It may be to write an email and ask for forgiveness. It may be to bake a cake, give it to the neighbor. It may be to offer babysitting to the single mom. You do that and more stuff will follow. Others of you are having fresh revelation. You have feelings inside of what you should do. And I say what Jesus said to the people of the wedding feast. Whatever he's told you to do, do it in Jesus' name.